0: Over the years, I've seen, heard of, and gotten to know Dale Perez, an iconic guide who has amassed an insanely huge number of permit-on-fly, 869. But I was captured by his tarpon magic. His two legendary tarpon records with Tom Evans in Homosassa was huge at the time. But most people didn't know he was drafted into the majors as a baseball player. His career was cut short with a knee injury that redirected his path to the Florida Keys, where he found himself near the ground floor of saltwater fly fishing. We became close friends over the years and eventually fished two gold cups together. His 53 years as a fishing guide brings a brilliant story to our podcast today. We hope you enjoy it.
1: We broke everything, we broke lines, we broke hooks, we broke rods, we broke our minds, we broke marriages, we broke the whole thing.
0: We uh, came up with the idea of going out that night and chasing girls, and whoever had the biggest pair of panties won the pot. I knocked another arrow and he turned around the other way and I shot him going through the other way, so I double lunged him
1: both ways. But it was nothing for us to paddle an air mattress out into government cut. I got him on. All right, now we're going to teach him a lesson. I'm just an old guy that likes to fish. I'm not quitting yet.
0: And he said, well, who the hell do you think you are, Sue App? And I said, that's exactly who I am. Life's journey to the grave should not be one arriving with a pretty, well-preserved body, but rather skid in broadside in a cloud of smoke, thoroughly torn out. Thoroughly used up, proclaiming wildly, wow, what a ride.
1: (laughs) There's something fishy going on here.
0: Well, we are with the great Dale Perez today. Dale, you've been guiding for 52 years.
1: That is correct. My
0: last two gold cups I fished with you okay what do you remember about those those last two gold cups two gold cups
1: i remember the first one we fished i remember i will not name where we were but i remember that great big 130 plus pound tarpon you were pulling him up i was laying over the bow with my lip gaff to grab him and right at the last second the fly pulled out
0: yeah yeah <laughs> we had some bad luck but we 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 snagged a couple yeah
1: and then the next year we broke that fish off remember the fly line broke
0: fly line broke right bad 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 string (laughs) (laughs) well let's start right off the bat all right so this photograph is arguably the biggest fish ever caught biggest bone fish Ever, ever caught
1: ever caught in the western hemisphere
0: 36 inches to the fork, you were saying?
1: 36.5 inches to the fork with a 23 inch girth.
0: And the numbers on that, girth squared times the length divided by 800, that's a 23 pound fish. Yep. But you let it go. Tell me about catching that fish.
1: Uh, we were bone fishing in the afternoon.
0: Here in Isla Mirada.
1: Here in Isla Morada, in the back country where we normally catch bone fish where I was A nine-pounder would be big, and this particular afternoon, these four fish came out of the slough and started tailing, and when I first saw them, I thought they were permit, and then I realized, oh no, they're bonefish. So my customer, Chuck Sheely from Columbus, Ohio, cast a shrimp out about 15 feet ahead of the fish and he said oh it's too far should i reel it in i said no leave it because they're going that way and when one of the fish got near it i said just lift your rod and twitch it which he did bonefish came over ate we hooked it off it went took about 25 minutes to catch her and when i got her to the boat i grabbed that fish And he was fumbling around trying to get his camera out. And I said, please hurry, because I don't want to hurt this fish. Right. So he got the camera out, got it ready. And then I held it up, and we got a couple pictures. And I let her go. And the sad part of this story is I had a certified BOGA grip scale in my mangrove fly bag that I took out of the bow compartment of the boat, because my customers both had big bags. Right. And that bag wouldn't fit in there. So I said, I don't need this. just awful full of flies. And But my BOGA grip certified by the IGFA happened to be in the bag. So I would have had to kill her to bring her in and weigh her. And we chose not to do that. Yeah, no, and good it, for
0: you. No, I, I get that for sure. Look, you've been in guiding for 52 years. And I want to get to the home assassin story a little bit. Sure. Um, But you're back, I mean, you're an athlete. You had aspirations of being a pro ball player. You played triple-A, if I'm not mistaken. I did
1: play professional baseball. Right. No, I made it to the major leagues. to the majors.
0: Tell tell me about
1: that. Uh, Well, I was a high school All-American in Tampa, Tampa Robinson. Then I got a scholarship and went to Florida State. Played for Florida State, Fred Hatfield. Then I got drafted by the St. Louis Cardinals, and went ahead and signed a contract with the Cardinals, and started out in the rookie league. I played in the Florida State League, I played in the Carolina League, then the California League, then I played for the Tulsa Oilers, which was the Cardinals' AAA team, and then the next spring, I got to uh, got to go to the big leagues. In my first year with the cardinals this was a long time ago carlos may who played for the chicago white Sox, blew his thumb off in two weeks military reserve training oh so i got traded from the cardinals to the white Sox, and they won the world series that year but i played with bob gibson right Lou brock kurt flood Maris, right? All those wow,
0: guys. what position did you play? I was an outfielder. So you had a good arm. Yep. That came into playing home, Sasa with an apple at one point. <laughs> <laughs> right. The red delicious method. <laughs> yeah, we'll talk about that in a little bit. Um, how'd you? So, how long did you play ball, and when, and what happened
1: upon your retirement? Well, I slid late stealing a base. I went under the bag, tore the base out tore my medial meniscus, and that was the end of my career. I was done, right. And- You know, if
0: you were to do that today with the orthopedic surgery, level of sophistication, oh, you'd, yeah. you'd be fine. You'd have been fine. But back then, it it
1: just, te- yeah. Didn't have it back then.
0: Yeah, So I, I hurt my knee uh, skiing. The first time I heard it was I was like 16. Uh, a meniscus too. And back then they just removed the meniscus. So now you're bone on bone. Yeah. And it's just a matter of time before, you know, the articulate cartilage goes away. Right. So that ended your career. That
1: ended my career. When did you first become a fisherman?
0: As a young man or after baseball?
1: Oh, I used to fish with my father growing up as a kid in Tampa. We used to do a lot of snook fishing. Uh-huh. And, uh huh. And I started tarpon fishing up there. I bought a 19-foot ribalo, and I used to go tarpon fishing in old Tampa Bay, and um, that's where my career started.
0: What do you remember about those days?
1: I remember it was fun. There were a lot of tarpon. We didn't really fly fish for them then. Right. Threw plugs at them? Actually, we would use catch live mullet in a cast net Mm -hmm. and put mullet on a hook and just
0: let them drift out Let them there. drift out. Is that, isn't that the best bite yeah. in the world? Yep. Getting a tarpon to eat a live mullet? Yep. That explosion is, yep. is unreal.
1: And then as kids, we used to go to Gandhi Bridge. Harry Spear and I and another fellow, Mike Hurlburt, we used to get up and spend the weekends on Gandhi Bridge. And we'd catch bait like manhaden and with big Calcutta poles and we'd stand up on the bridge, and the tarpon would swim the lights.
0: Right, the shadow line. Shadow right.
1: line of the lights, and we'd hook them there. And we were just little kids. I couldn't have weighed 120 pounds soaking wet. No kidding. <laughs> how, how
0: old were you at this at this stage?
1: 13, 14. So you knew Harry
0: Spear back then?
1: Harry Spear and I go back as little boys. We grew up in Tampa together.
0: That's interesting. Yep. So when he came to the Keys, did you follow him or vice versa? Harry
1: came to the Keys. He followed me.
0: You came first.
1: Yeah, I came first.
0: So how'd you know about the Keys? Have you always did you always hear about? I it? Was used to, it, was I used to come,
1: I used to come down here in the early '60s with my family. We used to stay at Farablanco, and I met a captain that fished out of the Faro Blanco, Cal Cochran. Right. And one afternoon, Cal Cochran took me out on the flats and took me to a flat we call the Wingwall flat at the seven mile bridge on the bay side and i was on the bow and there were three permit and i had a crab i hit the three permit on the head and spooked them then we go a little farther and there's some bonefish hit the bonefish on the head and spooked them but andy when i fell in love that was the passion in my life, and I swore, if my baseball career failed me, I was coming down here and I wanted to be a guide.
0: Even though you didn't catch a fish, just seeing them and spooking them. them.
1: It was the most amazing thing I've ever done in my life. The water was clear, sight fishing to these fish. was incredible, I'll never forget it, never. How'd you get into the guiding? Well, I came down here and uh, sold my riballo, and I bought a Gediman fiber craft, a used one. And Cal kind of put me to work. He kind of took me under his shoulder. And another person who helped me tremendously was Captain Nat Ragland. Right. He helped me a lot. And I used to go out every spare minute I had to learn. And I learned the lower keys, Marathon, the Lower Keys, intimately. Right,
0: I mean that's that's so admirable to find a guide that can fish from Miami to the Marquesas, because the us uh, speaking with Mahaffey just recently, he was saying the beauty of fishing too is is the. Adventure running around trying to see in different spots, different flats, absolutely, different beaches, absolutely. You know, it's a it's a walk in among nature via a boat. Sure, I mean that's one of the things that I really like about skinny water flats fishing. Is you see the rays, turtles, uh, the the wildlife offshore. I just see nothing but vomit coming out of my mouth. <laughs>
1: no shallow water fishing is so unique and so different and you're that's the thing just you said it whether it be bird life or stingrays or sharks or your targeted species on the flats it, it's an amazing place yeah no, it's an amazing beautiful place
0: it is when did you did you fish the gold cup in your early years
1: uh i fished actually tom in a couple gold cups way back when but no tom i, didn't, Evans, I didn't, yeah, yeah I didn't. that was after you
0: guys cut the the two world records oh yeah yep i think it was the following year yep. when i spoke to tom the other day i i speak to him quite often cuz he doesn't have much of a life right now no. you know he's immobile um he's 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 had a bunch of operations he's yeah. big yep. he's he's basically doing a lot of his fishing through memories but he still comes down every year and he still goes out, fishes in, you know, the great flats of homeless even though if he doesn't see something, he's with his guys, he's with his memories.
1: God bless him. You he, he gotta love that guy. God bless him.
0: It was funny, I asked him about Fishing With You in the records, he said that, I think he called it the Snagcraft. Do you remember that? Do you ever call, it, call that boat the Snagcraft, to you? Anyway, because you know how he makes up all these Crazy words. Witticisms. And he's yes. unbelievable. So he called it the snag craft. Yeah, yeah. Dale and I, yeah, we got a couple of records that we were in that that damn snag craft. I said, What do you call it the snag craft? He said, I'd hook a fish that would go over the horizon and you used to have to take the cowling off to get the motor started or something like that. I don't remember that. <laughs> I don't remember that. No. Well, Evans' mind is going <laughs> Yeah, I don't remember that. But anyway, um Let's talk a little bit about um, record fishing. Okay. Did you start doing that down here before you ended up in Homosassa? I did. And what kind of records were you looking for?
1: Well, I uh, I caught a world record tarpon, or Stu App caught a world record tarpon with me. We were putting it at the city center on Big Pine Key one morning, and he was fishing conventional tackle with six-pound test and we we're after the six pound test tarpon record on conventional tackle. So we had gone down to Loggerhead Key and that didn't see anything there. We went into Coupon Bite, didn't see anything there. So I said, well, I have an idea. A couple days ago, I was at Middle Johnson Key in the back country and I said, the tide's just about right right now. I think we should go back there. So we went back there. Started polling, here comes three tarpon, he hooks one. We end up after 45 or 50 minutes catching the tarpon, bringing it in, and it was a world record. How heavy was that fish? 79 pounds, 12 ounces, I believe. On six? On six. What kind of uh, bait was he using? A live crab. Live crab, okay. And Stu Apt, I'm gonna tell you, knew how to fight a tarpon. His technique was incredible. Incredible.
0: Yeah, you've heard about him because I think that he was the the one that starts speaking about the down and dirty, yes. pulling hard. Yes. You know, it's funny because I was with Stu a couple of years ago, maybe more than a few years ago. I was at his house, and I asked him. I said, "What what what about resistance? How what kind of weight uh, or resistance do you like to put on a tarpon?" He said, I like to put 12 pounds around 12 pounds. So you have a little gray area between the breaking point of 10% over 12 and the 16 pound test that he was typically fishing with at the time. And uh, I got a BOGA grip out. And I said, pull back and show me where, tell me where 12 pounds is. So he bent the rod, he's pulling, and I'm looking at my BOGA grip, looking at the scale and went right to 12. Because what I've done is I put a pulley under a workbench and tie a 12-pound barbell to the end of my butt section. Uh-huh. So when I was trying to learn how to catch tarpon quickly, when I first got into it, and knew right. I wanted to turn fish, I would stand back and lift that barbell up. And I asked Stu, I said, how do you know that it's 12? I knew what 12 is. I can pull back and, and get right to 12 because I've been lifting a barbell. But he'd fished so so many years with twelve pound test, yes, and he'd hooked so many tarpon. He 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 figured out what twelve pound was through breaking fish off. But back in the day, you could learn quickly. The learning curve was pretty steep because there were so many fish around. Yep.
1: Yep.
0: What kind of a guy was he on the boat? He was nice. He was nice. Pretty quiet.
1: Yeah. Yes, he was. Pretty serious. Very serious. Yeah. Very serious about his tarpon fishing.
0: You know, it's an interesting in that later, I don't know how many years later, he caught two world records in the same day on six pound test over in yeah. area. Yeah. Uh, Flamingo. I right. think with Hal Chetum, he caught a, a six pound fly rod record in the morning and, and a six pound conventional t- uh, record in the afternoon. So you, you you saw these guys, you fished with them. Who else impressed you back in the day?
1: Jimmy Lopez.
0: Yeah, tell me about Jimmy.
1: He was a great angler,
0: but a wacko, right?
1: Yeah, he he went wacko. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he he went off the deep end. Was
0: that a, was that a quick learning curve for him? <laughs>
1: <Or> was that? <laughs> well, you know, he I think he still holds the twelve pound record for yellowfin tuna that he caught in Bermuda on fly. It's like 77 or something like that. Up there, pretty good, whatever it was, it was pretty big. Right,
0: well you read the book, The Lords of the Fly, written by Monty Burke, which is, I think personally, the most important tarpon book ever written.
1: Very well done.
0: if, If you are Passionate about tarpon, if you want to read a great fishing book, read *Lords of the Fly* written by Monty Burke. Yeah, because it basically tells the story of the fish. What is a tarpon? Where did we first catch it? Yep. And the evolution of these titans uh, that chase them. Sure. And you were right in the middle of that game. I was. What was Homosassa like?
1: Homosassa was the most fantastic tarpon fishery in the world for big tarpon when I went there. There was no place else in the world that had the number of giant fish in an area that wasn't that big. It was incredible. We would see schools, some schools 500 fish in a school. And when I say they looked like tuna fish coming down the flat, they were huge, wide bodied, they looked like tuna fish. They weren't as long as a lot of the tarpon you catch here, but they were massive in width. And oftentimes you would see them pushing awake, coming towards you. And you had to be a boat poler to do it right. Yeah, we had electric engines on the back of our boat, but some of us, Steve and myself and a few of the other guides who went up there we didn't turn on our electric motors until we were trying to cut fish off. We pulled.
0: Get out in front of them. He'd have to chase them down a little yep. bit. Yep, I know that, how many years did you fish with Steve up there? Because you guys used to take like a week off every year? Five, five. Four or five days?
1: Five days, I think. And we did that for three or four years. What was that like? That was the most fun I ever had with a fly rod in my life fishing with Steve, we had a ball. We had a ball and we caught some big tarpon. And to this day, Steve Huff hooked the biggest tarpon I've ever seen in my life. And I'm sure he told you about that fish.
0: I wanna hear your story.
1: I was fishing 12 pound and I had just broke a fish off after fighting it for 45 minutes. So and
0: you record fishing? fishing? Or just fun fish.
1: We we were fun fish.
0: Yeah.
1: But we would have stuck a gaff in this one, I can tell you. Anyway, (laughs) I go get up on the polling platform and Steve has got his rod out of the rack and getting up on the bow. And I look up and I see a huge school of tarpon coming. I say, Steve, quick, strip out line. At 11 o'clock, 100 yards, we got a school of tarpon coming. But then in front of that school of tarpon, like about 30 yards ahead, was a lone fish. And couldn't tell how big it was, swimming real deep. Mm. So he strips out as much lining as he can. He makes a cast. The cast hits next to this fish. When the fly hits, the fish sees the fly sinking and turns and starts to come up. And as that fish came up, he stripped the fly. When that fish opened its mouth, All I could do is go, oh my God. The fish had the mouth of a 55-gallon drum. Mm. It's the biggest thing I've ever seen. When it ate that fly and came out of the water, and she jumped twice right in front of the boat. Once going directly away, so you could see the girth. Looked like 22, 23-inch wide, and that was the back, the width in the back the girth was ridiculous when it went sideways i'd say well over 60 inches in the girth wow 300 pounds if it weighed an ounce and i've seen a lot of big tarpon i saw a lot of big tarpon up there i didn't see that many 200 pound tarpon in my career i saw a lot of tarpon that i would say were between 140 and 180 pounds but when you're talking about this thing was incredible. I maybe saw eight fish that I figured were over 200 pounds, but this fish was hideous, it was so big.
0: Yeah, Steve said it was closer to 300 than two.
1: Yeah, yep. Or right. He
0: may even said closer to 300 than 250.
1: Yeah, it was huge. Biggest harpen I've ever seen. Who were your clients up there? Uh, I used to fish with Joe Robinson. Mm-hmm a fellow named Don Stott from New York. He's the first one I fished with. He was good friends with Tom Evans. Right. Because they were both in the stock market together way back when. Uh, Who else?
0: Let's go back one second. I forgot to ask you the story about your, your throwing arm. So you're fishing with that with with huff
1: huff and i are fishing and there's a school of tarpon and i'm got the lectures going i'm trying to cut this school off and i'm not gaining and i'm polling and polling and polling and polling and i realize i'm not going to be able to catch them so i jumped down off my platform went into the lunch box there was a red delicious apple in my box lunch i pulled it out i took the apple i threw it as hard and as far as i could and this apple landed five feet in front of the lead fish and they stopped and went right into a daisy chain got back up on the platform pulled over and steve caught one (laughs) that's the truth (laughs) so we named it the red delicious method so (laughs) did you buy any more apples Oh yeah when we got in that night we did
0: that was probably a you know a prerequisite for lunch a bag of apples (laughs) yep um tell me about fishing with uh with evans
1: all right i will tell you it was wonderful tom was a great angler quiet um the day we caught the 186 pound eight ounce tarpon we weren't able to go out in the morning because of weather we had severe weather come in thunderstorms and the wind was blowing 30 out of the west so we decided to stay in and then about noontime, the weather started to clear up. So said, come on, let's go. So we went out, went down to a place where Steve and I used to fish called the fetlock, where we used to, it was a model bottom sponge and uh, sea fans and whatnot, that type of a bottom. And I'm pulling in and it's really rough. Tom used to stand on his tackle box. We didn't have, guides had a platform, but we didn't have any platforms for anglers to stand on back then. So I see a fish roll up ahead. So I tell them where they were. So I try to stop the boat, and I'm having trouble stopping the boat because it's a hard bottom. So I jump down, and I get on the gun- gunnel behind Tom, put the pointed part of the push pole down, and I'm holding the boat, and Tom casts, and a tarpon comes up out of the school and flashes and misses it. And I said, you just keep stripping. He keeps stripping. And all of a sudden he hooks up. And when he hooks up, a wave hits us from behind that neither one of us saw. It knocked me off the gunwale into the water, knocked him off the tackle box into the bow of the bo- into the boat. And that's the only time during the fight the fish jumped. So we really didn't know what we had.
0: You never saw it after that? Never saw it after that. You just saw the big old fish laying there that you're pulling on.
1: Yep. So we fight it, fight it, fight it, fight it, and he brings it to the boat. I put the lip gaff in the lower jaw, and I go to drag this thing in. I go, Tom, geez, I'm going to have to have some help. So we bring it up. And I remember the girth was over 45, and I said, we've done it. Let's go.
0: What was the record at the time? This is a 16-pound test tippet
1: this was no this was 15 there wasn't any 16 then okay this is when it was 15
0: and what was the record at the time
1: 182 pounds so we took it to the fish house where we usually weigh it they put it on their agricultural scale certified scale and it weighed 186.8
0: speaking to evans i think that was a very important fish (laughs) yes Tell me about that. Why was it so important?
1: Well, because Steve had caught a, a tarpon that weighed hundred and eighty six pounds that he didn't want to kill because he was guiding Tom at the time and right. So it was important for Tom that we caught that fish. Yeah. So he could truly have caught the Now in fish. his heart he knew he
0: caught a bigger fish than, yep. than Steve's. Yep. It's amazing how meticulous and driven uh Evans has been all, all these years.
1: So we did that and that was a great, great accomplishment. So, and then you woke up the next morning, we went in, in the afternoon, it was still daylight when we got in and Tom tied some 12 pound tippets up. He says, I've never fished 12. So we went in the backyard and I held the tippets and he was out there with the rod. Practicing. Practicing, breaking the tippets to see how hard he could pull. Right. So the next morning we went out down at Oklahoma, and he hooks a tarpon, (laughs) jumps, and I know, or at least in my mind, it's big enough to bring in.
0: What's the record at the time that you're chasing? How big is that 12-pound record?
1: It was Billy Pate had it, and it was at, what, 155?
0: I don't remember what that record was that you were trying to break
1: we were trying to break a 12 pound record and it was 155 at the time yeah Hmm. so 10 minutes into the fight I'm standing up with Tom with my big gaff and that fish swims right in front of the bow of the boat and I reach out and I whack that fish right across the back of the shoulder and that thing launched me out of that boat like a rock I went out like a rocket (laughs) I didn't let go of my gaff. That fish took off. It would jump, pull me out of the water. And Steve and Sandy Moret were fishing, and they saw this going on. And this fish literally, with no exaggeration, towed me over 300 yards in the water. And they saw me, and they they were worried, and they came up to me. They said, you know, I don't think we're allowed to help you, like grab my gaff or anything like that. So Tom had to crank the engine and come towards me while winding line, tr- you know, paying attention to that with me on the gaff. So Huff was able to come up next to me and I grabbed the gunnel and I held onto the gaff with one arm. And then Tom came up with the boat and he forgot to put it in neutral in time and he smashed me right <laughs> 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 Anyway. Uh... One of them handed me a lip gaff, and I brought the big fish up, and I was able to get a lip gaff in his mouth. And then we got it, and it was 150, I think it was 155 pounds.
0: New record on New 12. New record on 12. I think uh, Stu got ran over too with uh, Ralph Delf When Stu had uh, caught that, he was guesstimating like a 230 pound fish, and Ralph Delf got yanked out of the boat. And Stu ran over to help Ralph, and he was talking about the controllers being a little bit different. He ran over Delph, and they ended up losing the fish. Yeah, I can't even imagine what that was like back then. You know, was that the only time you got yanked out of a boat, gaffing a fish? No,
1: no, I've been yanked out a few times. (laughs) You know,
0: Steve uh, made mention of that one time. He said, "At some point in your life, you've you've got to go. You got to gaff a fish." You know, obviously yep. now we we can't do that. No. We don't want to do that. No. The records are so high. Yeah, it's very unusual
1: that you're going to actually go chase exactly. a record and,
0: and 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 catch that record.
1: But I had a policy: I go where my gaff goes. Right, wherever my gaff goes, I'm with it. Good for you.
0: <laughs> anyway, tell me about some of the players over there, because in Monty's book, you yeah. know he, he he captures, you know, the passion of all of us that have been chasing those fish over the years, and especially those guys, because that was the Shea Stadium of of tarpon fishing. That's where everybody needed to be. Yep. But he spoke about all the characters. (laughs) Tell me about that circus.
1: Well, there was, uh, as guides, Steve Huff and myself, and uh, Mike Locklear's father, Eustace Locklear, he was guiding there with a cypress stick. That's what he used for a push pole. Danny Malzone, sure. Um, DePerret. Gary Mac- Marconi, yeah. Um. Freddie Archibald showed up on the scene. Um, gosh, I. And what
0: about the anglers? Well, you had Billy Pate, Billy Pate. Robinson, Evans. Yep, Lopez, Jimmy Lopez. Was there a lot of uh, um, hate, if you will? I don't know if that's the correct word, or is was, was there a lot of like animosity towards each other? I don't, think
1: so. I don't think so. I don't. I didn't feel that back then. I think you know. There were a group of guys who were there for one reason, and that was to catch world record tarpon. That's why we went there. Right. That was our goal, to go out and catch the biggest tarpon ever taken on a fly rod. And then a lot of people started coming up there after the word got out that Andy had no business being there. They were just boats getting, getting in, in, in the way. way. Getting right. in the way.
0: I remember I was there just briefly, and it was already really in a massive decline. It had already been expired. And I felt like, I, you know, I wasn't there to record fish. I was there with a friend of mine, Raz Reed. Sure. Said, let's go fish home assassin. I was there and my eyeballs, you know, were like, you know, I was just so new. I was a neophyte to the whole game. But, you know, four days later, I'd only made like three shots. You know, the fishing wasn't very good. And I I wanted to go fishing. I wanted to see fish. And so I came to the Keys and stayed in the Keys. Yep. But every year you'd hear these stories yep. about what, who was doing what, yeah. and uh, vicariously, uh, the Tarpon Telegraph would go off, and Evans would call, and you know he'd catch. You know I think I think, I think he really had some hard feelings towards Billy Pate because Bate was trying to change, you
1: know, a three-foot shock tippet for billfish and a lot of different things, and he wanted to introduce twenty. You're right, and. <clears throat> He would run all over the place. We call it tending his poon. Right. Never pull. I'm not going to bad mouth. Billy. Billy. Yeah. That's what was going on there. Right. And my last year was 1982. Tom and I were working a daisy chain. And out of the corner of my eye, here comes a bass boat running right up to the school of fish that I was fishing and started throwing bass worms in it. Oh, my God.
0: That's when you left. I didn't
1: know what to do. I looked at Tom and said, I'm sorry, I can't do this anymore. Right. This is ridiculous. Yeah. You know, and there were just too many boats. Right. Too many. I
0: remember when I had left there, I was I was going to make mention that I'd counted, I think, 61 or 63 boats on the horizon and around us. Yep. So any fish that was there, they were just ping-ponging off of each other's boat. Yep. What, uh, you know, it's interesting in that, this uh, last year... COVID really had gave us a chance to go back in time. And I just recently wrote an article for tail magazine and I called it the COVID time machine. Uh And in that article, when they closed all the boat ramps here in Florida and all the golf courses, I flew to Aspen and I could go to the river with Nikki and there was no one there. And it took me back to when I was like 10 years old where I just learned how to cast from Ernie Schwiebert and Chuck Father just taught me how to tie flies. I was tying flies for the local stores and we were on the river every day. We'd ride our bikes to the river with our fly rod and baseball mitt. We'd just <laughs> gotten out of baseball practice. We were on the river till dark and we'd come home and, and have leftovers. But this year with COVID, I had a chance to go to the river and see that river again like that. Because since the river runs through it, the aspen rivers were really crowded fly fishing really became popular but last year we flew into aspen there were no airplanes at the airport there was no traffic the rivers were empty and for like two months nikki and i went back 55 years 60 years in time wow and then i got into the keys a little bit early and we were down there fishing in the lower keys And you could come out of Bow Channel, look to Key West and not see see a white boat anywhere, not see a speck on the horizon. There was nobody.
1: It's amazing.
0: (laughs) And the tarpon were high and happy and sliding, you know, and it was like hours. And then we flew back to Aspen and everything had been open and now there's 900 private jets at the airport and town was filled up. But as bad as COVID is obviously, it gave us a chance to have really good perspective and see something that we'll probably never see again. Sure. What did you see down here this
1: last year? Were you fishing at all when they closed the Keys? Yeah. Yeah. And it was nice, Andy, because there weren't boats running all over the place. You, You pretty much could go where you wanted. There weren't that many people fishing. I mean, I did a lot of fishing on my own because... People couldn't come in. They had the road closed. So
0: it was fun, right?
1: It was fun. Yes. Yes.
0: You know what I love about you is that you are a fisherman. I love it. You wake up and go do exactly what you want to do every day. Love it. You know, a lot of guys have gotten burned out. They left the sport. Like Harry kind of got burned. He's building boats. He's left. Um, a lot of people are too frustrated with what they see out there now, so they kind of are doing other things. I mean, how old are you now?
1: 73.
0: And you and Steve Huff? Yeah. Billy Knowles is 80? Yep. You guys are still pulling your boat almost every day? Yep. You gotta love it. We love it. Yeah.
1: We love it. That's why we do it, because we love it.
0: Like Billy said, I can't wait to get up tomorrow to go out there again.
1: There you go. Yeah.
0: Well, it's been a real pleasure to have you as a friend. Thank it's you. It's been Andy. a real pleasure to fish my last two tournaments with you and thank you. And, you know, hear all these great stories because thankfully Monty Burke wrote that book. Yes. Because the tarpon story of Homosassa would have been lost.
1: Yeah. And it's a shame. I'm just so thankful. I thank God that I got to be part of that. And I don't. Do you know how we found out about Homosassa, Norman Duncan? I did an interview with him just okay. recently, but I don't. Rem, I don't know the story about how you found. All right, Steve was having breakfast at Stout's Restaurant in Marathon one morning with Tom, and I was with Tom's friend and my client Donald Stott, and Norman Duncan came in with Lefty Gray, and Norman Duncan showed us these pictures of tarpon from Homosassa that he'd caught. And he said, this one was probably 185 pounds. And I went, we were impressed. Steve and I were impressed. I said, we gotta go up there and do this. I gotta see this place. And as a kid growing up in Tampa, I used to go to Homosassa, but I would go scalloping. And, and trout fishing and red fishing. Didn't go tarpon fishing back down there. But I am so thankful that I got to be part of that to see the greatest tarpon fishing in the world. And I'll never forget it.
0: And two, you saw the greatest bone fishing in the world. That too is now gone.
1: Yep. There's some fish coming back, but it's- it,
0: Not like this. No,
1: no, you don't see that anymore. Yeah.
0: Well, thank you for joining us.
1: Thank you for having me, Andy.
0: You're a pal and always will be.
1: You bet. Thank you.
0: <laughs> yep. Most 74-year-olds are playing gin at the country club or walking a block and calling it a day not Perez. He still has a huge heart for fishing and running a skiff over the surface of the ocean with salty air in his face. If you've enjoyed this podcast, please do us a huge favor and leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. If you'd like to see more content or behind the scenes, please follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and YouTube. We'll see you again soon.